If you would bow with me in prayer, and then we're going to look at John 14 that Luke read to us just a second ago. But let's pray first. Lord, we thank you for this day. Uh, We thank you for the time that we have here together. Together, we thank you for this place you've provided. We thank you for this beautiful day and your creation that cries out of who you are and how wonderful and magnificent you are. We pray that the words that we just sang, that uh, here is our hearts, that you would speak your truth into our lives. And so that is our prayer this morning, that as we open your word, that you would meet us in this place, that you would be our teacher, our guide, that you would take uh, the living word that you've given us and apply it to our hearts and our minds. Uh, As we do each week before we open your word, we confess we cannot do this without you. And so we ask that the Holy Spirit would come and would be in this place, that you'd be leading and guiding us into all truth, that you would do the things that you've promised. Uh, We thank you that as you've promised us that you're here with us and that you're in us and that you're leading and guiding us. And so we pray that you would just help us to see you more clearly this morning. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, when I was in school, undergraduate, uh, it was for architecture. My undergraduate degree was in architecture. I had to take a class in uh, building uh, construction materials and methods. And uh, uh, it was a class where you just learned about all the different materials you would use and uh, the strength of them and all that kind of stuff. And my professor, he was good. He was a good teacher, uh, but he was from India originally. And so it meant he had a very strong Indian accent. And so most of the time that didn't matter, but every once in a while, uh, he'd throw out some words that you'd be going, I, you'd have to think about it for a second. And you're like, I'm not sure what he said. And you'd have to, and you'd always be behind him a little bit, but then you'd kind of figure it out. Uh, probably three or four weeks into the class, he started to talk uh, one week uh, 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 just over and over about Oud. And he kept talking about Oud over and over. And this went on for days, like two or three days in a row. That's all he talked about. And uh, uh, there were a lot of people that I think were very lost as he kept to talk about Oud. And then finally, uh, probably the third or fourth day he had started in on this, there was a guy sitting two rows in front of me. And he just sighs real loud. This is like good old country boy, like right in the front row. And he sighs real loud. And he goes, oh, he's talking about wood. And everybody went, oh, yes, that's what he's saying. And then suddenly it made so much more sense. Like, oh, okay, yeah. Kind of important in a class on building constructions and materials that you can understand the word for wood. Like that was pretty important. And so you can be really lost pretty quickly if you get that one foundational piece wrong in this class. You get that one word wrong and it makes everything real hard and real difficult. And then after that, it was like, OK, this makes sense. He's actually a good teacher. And so I think the, the, the truth is we do the same thing a lot of times in, in spiritual things, in, in doctrines and things that we say we hold to and we get maybe one piece wrong or part of it wrong or we don't see it quite fully and it can cause all sorts of problems and struggles and all sorts of things. Uh, It it makes me think of a quote from a guy named J.P. Moreland. He's a a pastor and a professor. He teaches at Biola Seminary in uh, California and he wrote a book on love God with all your mind and, and thinking through the great big truths that God's given us in his word. And what Moreland says is that we can't hold anything with conviction that is really vague in our mind. Uh, We can't hold anything with a real conviction if it's kind of foggy, if it doesn't make sense to us. It's hard for us to have a real conviction about that. And so part of his book was a plea to say, let's think about those things deeply and kind of turn them over in our mind and really work hard to understand them. And so I, I think of those things this morning about getting that one little piece wrong and how it can have great effects as we begin this series this week on the Holy Spirit. Uh, We're going to begin to talk for this week and the next seven weeks on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And and I think if you ask 
And if we were honest and we talk about it, sometimes the idea of the Holy Spirit can be this kind of vague notion that it's like, I know it's important. I know bits and pieces of it, but sometimes it can be kind of overwhelming or we're not really sure what that looks like. And so we're going to spend the next seven weeks just seeing what Scripture says about who the Holy Spirit is, uh, what he does. What does it mean to walk in step with the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, these words and these phrases that the New Testament uses? And so today we're going to start with that with just big picture in John chapter 14 and just simply ask this, who is he? Who is the Holy Spirit? And then we're going to think about why that's important. Who is he and why that's important? Real simple, straightforward, basic, but it's so important. It's so foundational to our belief as Christians that if we get this piece wrong, we get a whole lot of other things wrong. And so this is really important when we begin to look at it. And so this is what we're going to do is just ask the question of who is he. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to look at John chapter 14. John 14 takes place on the night before Jesus is crucified. It's part of what we call the upper room discourse. And so in the upper room, just hours before Jesus is arrested and taken and he'll be crucified on Friday morning. This is Thursday night. It's when he institutes the Lord's Supper, our words of institution that we say every week as we come to the table. That's part of this time. Jesus washes their feet. He's teaching them. He's telling them all these things. And what we get in this discourse is probably the clearest teaching that Jesus gives us on the Holy Spirit and then the Father and the Son and how they work together in the Trinity. We get a lot of that in John 14, 15, and 16. And so that's where we're going to start this morning as we ask the question of who is the Holy Spirit. And so let's just start. In John chapter 14, in verse 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither knows, neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And so you see this picture right here at the beginning as Jesus begins to talk about the Holy Spirit. If you're not sure that he's talking about the Holy Spirit there, you see there in verse 16, he says, I will give you another helper, even the spirit of truth. Then look at verse 25. He says, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, who the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. And so you see the context there, the helper he's talking about in verse 16. He kind of fleshes out for us in verse 26. It is the Holy Spirit. And so I want us to just start with who is the Holy Spirit and what is this big picture idea that we're talking about? And so Jesus has just told them, I'm going away. I'm going to leave you. And they're freaking out about it. They still don't understand that he has to die. They haven't come to grips with that. But he says, I'm going to send this other one, another helper who's going to come to you. And the words he uses here is he says, I'm going to give you another helper. I want us just to start right there. And I want you to think about what he's saying in the context. He's saying, I'm leaving and they're getting upset over it. But he says, it's okay because I'm going to send you another helper. Uh, In chapter 16, he'll actually say, it will be better for you that I go away because I'm sending this another helper. And the picture that we start to get and the first thing I want us to see when we say, who is he? The word that Jesus uses for another here is not like, but something different. He's using the word here for another to say just like the first one. It's everything that the first helper is. And so I want you to think about the context and what he's talking about, because the first helper he's talking about is himself. He says, I'm going away, but it's okay, because I'm going to send another helper that's everything that I am. 
In fact, in in 16, he'll say it so emphatically to say that it's even better that I go away. And I think we get a hint of that here when he says he dwells with you. You know him and he dwells with you and he will be in you. Jesus is looking ahead to what's going to happen after his crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, when the Holy Spirit comes in full and dwells in us. And he's pointing to this. And so the first thing I want you to see here is that the Holy Spirit is God. If you're unsure about that, as you work your way through John, what you see real clearly, I've been reading John with a lot of different people lately, a lot of time in John. And what you see real clearly in John is Jesus says over and over that he is God. It gets him in trouble a lot, actually, because he keeps saying it. They say things to him like, how do you know Abraham? You talk about Abraham, you're not yet 50 years old. How do you know Abraham? He says, before Abraham was, I am. And what that is saying to the people that are there, they pick up stones to uh, to stone him when he says that, because he just said, it's, I know Abraham because I've existed eternally. I'm God. And that's what he does. And that's what he says. And Jesus says those things over and over again. And so I want you to think about the claims that Jesus makes. And then he turns and he says right here, but I'm going to send this helper. That's everything that I am. He's, he's just like I am. And it's better for you that he would come. And so what Jesus is telling us is that the Holy Spirit is God. And we need to start right there, because if we get that wrong, we'll get all the rest wrong. And so you have to see that all these claims that Jesus is making, he's now saying the Holy Spirit is too. This is true of him as well. But then the second thing I want you to see, and you may just gloss over this. Hopefully we know this, but uh, if the statistics are right. I actually read this study uh, just recently. It was from last year that Lifeway did. And they asked Christians, people who would profess to be Christians that believed the Bible, who is the Holy Spirit? How would you describe the Holy Spirit? And 58% Bible-believing Christians say the Holy Spirit is an impersonal force. It's a force. That's what 58% of Christians believe. And what I want you to see is the way Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit in verse 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. Jesus talks about him as a person. And that's because the Holy Spirit is a person. It's not an impersonal force. And the scriptures show us that and that gets fleshed out as we go through in the New Testament. In Ephesians 4, it tells us that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Uh, In Hebrews 10, it says that the Holy Spirit can be outraged. Uh, In Romans 15, it says the Holy Spirit loves. And so when you start to put together everything that the scripture says about the Holy Spirit and who he is, is he's not only God, but he is a person who can be grieved and can be outraged, who loves, who cares for us. Uh, Even right here, he talks about the Holy Spirit coming and teaching. He's a teacher Or, or the word that he chooses to use here when he says, I'll send you another helper could also be translated advocate or counselor. And you start to put all these things together and the picture you have is a person. It's not an impersonal force. It is fully God, but it is also a person. And so when we talk about the basics of the teaching of who the Holy Spirit is, we have to start with he's God and he's personal. He's a person. And if we miss those, we miss all of it. Now, hopefully, as I say that, you go, yes, I know that. That's that's basic, straightforward. But the truth is 58 percent believe he's an impersonal force. 
And we'll talk about why that's so important in just a minute. But I think the way that you respond to the Holy Spirit in your life will be very different if you see it as an impersonal force or you see it as an actual person. It'll change greatly how we look at it. And so that's the first two. But then the third part's a little harder just to grab from this passage right here. But you see it fleshed out here in John 14, 15, and 16. And it's the foundational teaching that we believe that God exists in the Trinity. Three in one. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That God is three persons distinct but one God. And that messes with our mind big time. That's hard for us to wrap our head around. To get our head around that full picture that it's three people that are co-equal, co-eternal, each is fully God and there's only one God. And we go, well, how can that work? We get a picture of kind of how that works in John's gospel. He gives us a lot. I think it's helpful the way he talks about it. Uh, uh, he'll say to Philip here in chapter nine of, of verse or of chapter 14, verse nine, Philip will say, Lord, show us the father and it's enough for us. And Jesus will say, I've been with you so long and you don't know me, Philip. How uh, whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Right? That's, that's Hebrews one. Jesus is the exact imprint of the very nature of the Father. When you see Jesus, you're seeing exactly what God's like. So we're starting to get part of it. Uh, Then we have Jesus talking about how he's going to send the Holy Spirit who will be with us forever. That he will proceed from the Father. That he will magnify and glorify Jesus. He will take what's mine and make it known to you so that you will see Jesus for who he is and glorify the Father. And you start to get this three part of what's happening in the Trinity. And I would tell you to try to get your head around it, you have to think about it. It's not just, hey, I'm going to give you a a neat little analogy and then you'll walk out and be like, oh, I got it. The Trinity. Uh, If anybody tries to give you a neat little analogy, it's probably wrong and you should be a little wary of that. I don't know if you've ever heard those before, but they end up not being helpful. They say like, well, the Trinity is kind of like water when it's frozen, it's a solid and then it's a vapor when it turns, gets hot enough or steam. That's all wrong. Don't just forget that. Right. Because what that's saying is that God exists in different modes at different times, but it's all the same. He just looks differently. But that's not the teaching. It says that he's three in one, that he's perfect unity of these three parts that work perfectly together. I I found it probably most helpful when C.S. Lewis talks about it like a dance. I don't know if you've ever heard that before, but C.S. Lewis talks about the father and the son and the Holy Spirit. And each one kind of orbits around the other glorifying and pointing to the other. And so Jesus comes and he says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and the Spirit's going to come and it's going to glorify me that you would see the Father. And it's this picture. And so what Lewis uh, describes is all three orbiting around the other. And it's this dance that they're so moving perfectly together in unity in all things that it's one. But yet they're distinct. Now, that doesn't get to the fullness of it completely either, but it helps us to start to get the idea of what we're talking about. That we worship the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all co-eternal, co-equal. The Holy Spirit is fully God. Just as Jesus is fully God, just as the Father is fully God. Uh, That same study I was talking about before, 20% believe that the Holy Spirit is less than the Father and the Son. That His power or His importance or His uh, full deity is less than. And so that's why I bring out some of these, because those, I think, where some of our misunderstandings lie when we begin to talk about the Holy Spirit. And so we have the the Holy Spirit is God. He is a person and he's part of the Trinity, the three in one. That's the basic foundation. 
So why does that matter and why is that important? Well, part of it is Jesus tells us the work of the Holy Spirit and what he's going to come and do. And he says he's going to teach and lead and guide and he's going to do all these things. And he tells us it's better for us that he goes away. The Holy Spirit's going to come. And as we go through this series, we're going to talk about how he works in our sanctification, how he magnifies Jesus, how he does all these things. Everything that we seek to do as a body of believers is dependent on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And if it's not, we're just playing games. So it's fairly important that we begin to look at who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. And so the first thing, just start with why does it matter that he's a person? That we get that right. Now we're going to come back to this in coming weeks on the idea of what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit or to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. See that in Ephesians 5 and Galatians 5, it talks about walking in those ways with the Spirit. And if we see the Holy Spirit as just an impersonal force, it's going to lead to all sorts of problems and issues. It's very different to be think of being filled or walking in step with a person than it is this just kind of nebulous force that's out there, is it not? Does that change the way you think about it a little bit when you think about who the Holy Spirit is and what he does in your life and what that looks like? Because the scriptures tell us what Jesus tells us is he's a person. And so if I'm going to keep in step with a person or be filled with a person or what that looks like, it's going to be different. And think about that. If I'm really growing in a relationship with a person, it's going to be there's going to be communication and talking and listening and hearing, hanging on their every word. Pretty important to be in step with another person is that you've got to know who they are. Understand what's going on. And so you go, well, to hang on their every word, how do we hang on the Holy Spirit's every word? How does that work? I think Peter helps us in 2 Peter 1 when he says this, No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Or or 2 Timothy, Paul will say, All Scripture is breathed out by God. If you want to walk in step with the Spirit and be filled with the Holy Spirit in your life and be filled with this person... You're going to spend time in the word because what scripture tells us is that all of it is inspired by the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is the writer behind the human writers of all of scripture. And if you want to hear what the Holy Spirit sounds like, you're going to be in God's word. The miraculous part of that is what Jesus tells us through what Christ has done for us. We've been reconciled to God. The Holy Spirit now takes up residence in us. And lives with us and dwells with us. And so when we open God's word, we have the writer living inside of us. Speaking and showing and illuminating it. So I say every week before we open the word. God, we cannot do this on our own. We need you to take your living and active word. You're the author of it and apply it to our hearts and our minds. And so if we want to know what the Holy Spirit's like, we're going to start here with his word. Now, if, if we miss it and it just becomes this impersonal force that we try to conjure up at different times through feeling or emotion or these different things, it becomes this experience that we chase. But we can know the Holy Spirit. We can come and we can talk with Him and we can spend time with Him every time we open God's Word. 
And he meets us in that. And it's important that we see him as a person. It's important that we see him the way Jesus describes him. As our advocate and our teacher and our helper. And he meets us in that. We'll come back to this when we talk about the Holy Spirit in our sanctification. But as our teacher and our helper, as our advocate, he comes alongside and he magnifies Jesus. And he points us to who he is and what he's done. And he applies it to our heart. And he shows us and he teaches us. I want you to think about what Jesus says when he says, it is better for you that I go away that the Holy Spirit would come. Can you imagine? You have Jesus right there with you. He's discipling you and teaching you and you're walking with him and spending time with him. And he says, no, 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 I'm going to go away now, but it will be better. Do you believe that? That the Holy Spirit in you, that God now lives with you at all times and always, everywhere? That's the picture of a personal God, not just a force, but a person that's actually come into your life. But then the second part, when we think about why it's important that he's God, and I'm just going to touch on this. Remember, this is week one of a whole series. But why it's important that the Holy Spirit is fully God When you open God's word and you seek him and you have the author there with you and he's illuminating your heart and your mind and he's showing you and he's speaking to you and he's pointing you to these things. If the Holy Spirit is fully God, he's not just a wise sage. He's not just a force that kind of blows in that you hear or he illuminates or he shows you and you go, I think I'll ignore that. If he's God... Fully God, and He speaks and He teaches you and He comes into your life, He's not something to just be ignored. In fact, if He's fully God, it makes no sense to do anything except to respond in awe and wonder and obedience. It doesn't make sense any other way. But when we see He's a person who is fully God and He speaks into our life, And he loves us and he has our best interests at mind and he teaches and he shows us and he guides us in things. It's the same spirit that was there in creation. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And we go, I think I got it. That doesn't make any sense. I'm going to warn you, I'm going to tell you, when we begin to see the Holy Spirit for who he is, And what he does that he's fully God and he's a person and he's active in your life and he begins to speak and he begins to teach you. It's going to scare you. And the reason it's going to scare you is he's going to push you outside your comfort zone real fast. And suddenly you're going to go, oh, wait a second. You want me to do what? (laughs) Are you going to read God's word and you're going to get convicted and you're going to see clearly God showing you? You go, oh, no, now what do I do? But this is the second part I want you to see. Holy Spirit is fully God. And it's important that we obey him. But then the second thing, Paul says this incredible thing in Titus chapter 3. He says, by the washing and renewal of the regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. It's the way he says it in in Titus 3. He says, you've been saved by what Christ has done. And the Holy Spirit comes in and he's bringing regeneration and renewal in your life. 
And Paul uses a very specific word for regeneration that's only used one other time in the Bible, and it's in Matthew chapter 19. And Jesus uses it in this way. He says, when I return and I sit on my throne in the regeneration. And what Jesus is saying is when I come back and all things are made new. All things are set right. And then Paul makes the connection that you now have the power that is going to do that living inside of you right now because of what Jesus has done. So you can go, it's kind of scary when you start to recognize what God's doing and the power that's work. The very God of the universe takes up residence inside of you and he begins to regenerate and remake you and it can kind of scare you a little bit. It's going to push me outside of my comfort zone. But then Paul reminds us that's the very power that's going to regenerate all things. And he's living and working inside of you right now. The God of the universe has taken up residence in you. Wow. You see that? You see what we're dealing with? The God of the universe now has come and invaded into your life. And he's showing and teaching and leading and guiding. Now I'm going to end here with this last part of the Trinity. Why it's so important that he's part of the Trinity. And we see that. Oftentimes when we start to talk about the Holy Spirit. I've different times we talk about the Holy Spirit in sermon series or different things here. And I think people get excited by that. And we should. I think we often neglect the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. I've I've sadly heard missionaries come back uh, from Africa or different parts or or people, Christians who became believers in different parts of the world. And then they come to America and they say things like it's amazing what you can do without the power of the Holy Spirit in your churches. And they look at buildings and things and all this stuff and they go, that's pretty great. But, but we're not living and breathing and active and leaning on the Holy Spirit. But what happens, I think, sometimes is we get excited and then we get real excited about making it about all these other things or making the Holy Spirit the focus. And I want to be real clear when we talk about the Holy Spirit and his work and why him being part of the Trinity is so important and what Jesus says right here. I've had people ask me about our church. You, you always make it about Jesus. It always comes back to Jesus. We say we're a Christ-centered church. Shouldn't we talk about the Holy Spirit more? And I think we probably should. We probably need to have a balance of the person and work of the Holy Spirit and what he does and understanding that and seeing that. But my answer is always this, and this goes back to the Trinity piece. Jesus says the Holy Spirit's going to come and glorify Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And so if we make it all about the Holy Spirit or a feeling or getting swept up in emotion and all these things, and it's not magnifying Jesus, I don't know that that's the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus says clearly, I'm going to send this one who's going to come and he is going to magnify me. He's going to glorify me. He's going to work in your sanctification by showing you clearly what Jesus has done for you. And how that changes your heart and how that comes back to all what Christ has done. The whole picture of what God's doing. We've rebelled against the holy, perfect God. 
And we are lost on our own. So the Father sends His Son to come and do what we could never do for us. And He lives that perfect life. And then He exchanges His perfect life for our sinfulness. And He goes to the cross and He dies for us. And then He gives us the benefits of that by grace through faith. We are reconciled to God through what Christ has done. And then the Holy Spirit comes in and He opens our mind to see it and points us to Jesus that we can know the Father. And they work perfectly together. But as they work perfectly together, it's always going to come back that the only way we're reconciled to God is through Jesus and nothing else. You know, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to point you to Jesus always. And if we leave that out, we're missing it. And so, yes, the Holy Spirit is God. Yes, He is co-equal. Co-eternal. And the same power, the same substance, but His job is to come and shine a light on God's glorious grace and what He's done for us in Jesus. So people go, why are you Christ-centered? Because I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because that's what He does. He's going to show us Jesus more clearly. He's going to do this work. And then He's going to bring it all to completion. And so, yes, we worship the Holy Spirit. We worship the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is a wonderful thing. And we want to make sure we get that right, but we also want to make sure we hold it exactly how God says it works. So let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious good news of what you've done for us. We thank you that you have sent us your very presence in the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for indwelling us, for being with us, for teaching us, for being patient with us. We thank you that you come and you make all that Jesus has done real to us, that you point us more fully to who he is and the ways that you love us. I pray that you would help us to see it clearly. Give us great wisdom and discernment over these next weeks as we talk about who you are that we would hold to what your word says, that we would magnify your name, that we would see you as you've revealed yourself. I pray that you give us great wisdom in that. I pray that you would move mightily in this place, that you would convict us of sin, that you would encourage us of the forgiveness we have, and that you would glorify Jesus in our midst. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Mm -hmm.